You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in to the second edition of the Off Day Debrief, or the Oddcast, as we like to call it. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, alongside Brandon Lee Gouton. Brandon, what's up? Uh, Stats, you know, I want to start this podcast out by thanking people. Uh, you know, Tom George, Jake in Memphis, Benny Two Bags, Stu Taylor, all the people who left reviews. Uh, they're all part of the hashtag Odd Squad now, you know, for leaving these ratings and reviews on iTunes for this show. I appreciate that. I also appreciate how much apparently it's bothering uh, noted Cowboys fan RJ Ochoa on the Monday Football <laughs> Monday podcast. I think we already have a rivalry brewing with them. I like it. Um, but stats, you know, I, I want to come in here and like be all nice and cheery, but I can't stats because the Eagles and we'll get to them. And there's a lot to get to get to in the second edition of the Oddcast. But uh, yeah, you, you take it away from me here because I could just go into a whole thing on them and I could just crush them. Yeah, we like to call it the Oddcast. We might as well call it the Sadcast today. Between your Eagles, my 49ers, and both of our Survivor picks just absolutely going up in flames on Sunday. It was a, a terrible start to the year. But we're going to get to a lot of things. We're going to break down both Monday night football games, uh, Pittsburgh, the Giants, and Tennessee and Denver. We're going to do our power rankings like we always do. And then we're going to do a Make It Make Sense. It's a new feature we're going to debut here where we put uh, a decision or a, a going on, let's say, under the microscope. So a lot to get to here. Let's start with the Monday Night Football games, and we'll start with the early game. Pittsburgh against the Giants. The Steelers look good. They win 26-13. Ben Roethlisberger is back. He throws three touchdowns. Is all well in Pittsburgh? I think it is. That's, uh, the rumors of Ben Roethlisberger's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, you know, skepticism about him coming into the season. He's 38 years old. He's coming off injury. He doesn't have any more. He still has it. You know, three touchdowns, 7.2 yards per reception, uh, 117.8 pass rating. I mean, he's just, there's a nice cast around him. You know, you have Benny Snell at running back, um, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool looks like he can kind of play a little bit. Uh, we obviously all saw that catch along the sideline. Just fantastic. Yeah, I think, and then obviously the defense is still good too. So, I mean, you, you pair Big Ben, and even if he's not this good, like, as long as he's fine, they're still going to win a lot of games with that defense. I feel good about the Steelers. I have them six overall, so I'm feeling pretty good. What about you? Yeah, look, this is the team that could disrupt everything in the AFC, right? Like, everyone's sort of kind of just handing the AFC to either Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Like, no, no, no. This is the Steelers. This is the team that could blow this all up. If Ben is anything close to this consistently, look out. Because, like you said, that defense is insane. Saquon Barkley had six yards on 15 <laughs> carries. That's 0.4 yards a carry. That's insane. They're really good. And I was saying it, like, heading into the season, the track record's there. You know, they haven't had this losing season since, like, 2003. Like, the Steelers are just – they're good. They're a good franchise. And, obviously, Mike Tomlin did a great job with that team last year when they had nothing at quarterback and they still you know what they win eight games um and now you have big ben back 
And I, I feel really good about Pittsburgh. Obviously, you know, we'll have to see them go up against those legitimate teams in the AFC before, you know, we can we can certainly put them above those in the Chiefs and the Ravens because, you know, they beat a pretty bad team on Monday Night Football and it wasn't, you know, perfect, but I still, I just, I really do feel good about their outlook. And on the other side for the Giants, like, well, there's nothing good to say. Like, I'm sorry. I don't see it with Daniel Jones. I'm sorry. And, you know, the decision to pick Saquon Barkley in 2018, I crushed it at the time. You have the second overall pick in a quarterback rich draft and you take a running back. And how's that turning out? And Saquon Barkley is awesome. He's everything that you could have hoped he would be. But they don't support him. They don't give him a line. They don't give him anything. And he's doing nothing for that team right now. Stats, I want to steal a phrase from your co-host that you cheat on me with on Thursdays on the SB Nation NFL show, uh, Ed Valentine. Uh, he said, the new Giants sure look a lot like the old Giants. And yeah, they do. They're not good still. Uh, who could have seen that coming? Uh, you know, like you said, Dave Gettleman, just not the brightest guy, not the smart, doesn't make the smartest decisions. And see, I'll disagree with you a little bit on Daniel Jones. Like I can see it with him. Like there's, there's moments where he does some really nice things. And I'm like, okay, I kind of like, you know, I can see there's something there, you know, it's not like, and we'll get to it later, but to me, like Dwayne Haskins, like, I just don't see it at all. Like, I don't get it. Like I get what they like about Daniel Jones. But, I mean, the turnovers are just killer. I mean, he the one interception he threw, you know, when they're uh, down in goal to go or around, you know, down about to, to get a touchdown there. I mean, it's second down. It's second down, and he's just, like, he's getting hit, and he's just lofting the ball into the end zone. It's like, what are you doing? Like, play smart. Like, just throw it away. <laughs> like, this isn't fourth down. This isn't the game on the line. Like, just totally reckless decision. And, uh, yeah, but that's what you're going to get with Daniel Jones. So that's part of the problem. That's, that's you know, the, the turnovers are just there. If that was a 19-play drive, and they ended it with that, which is, I mean, even if you get a field goal at the end of a 19-play drive, there's value there. You're resting your defense. You're wearing out the other team's defense. To get nothing and turn the ball over is just completely disheartening. And and you said you see what there is to, to like about Daniel Jones. Can you tell me what it is? Because here's what I see. I see a guy that puts the ball on the ground constantly and turns the ball over. And you could say, look, other than those turnovers, he was great. But sometimes being a quarterback is all about the worst thing that you do. And the worst thing that Daniel uh, Jones does loses games for his team because he turns it over. Yeah. And if, you know, this is kind of almost like a Carson Wentz discussion here, too, where it's like, you know, you see the high points and you're tantalized by those. I mean, I just thought he had some really good passes in that game last night. Like when you get him a clean pocket and he's back there and he, he can sling it like and he can throw with accuracy. Like I just the tools are there. And if somehow the Giants can coach those turnovers out of him and they might not be able to be, it might just always be there. And that's an issue, but it's like, it's the, if, you know, it's like, if they can just do that, there's something there to, there's talent there to work with. And uh, you know, they might never reach that point, but, uh, and look, you know, obviously I'd, I would rather not admit this. I would love to make fun of the Giants for, for drafting <laughs> Daniel Jones. I did when they did. And I would love for there to be nothing there, but um, I just think there is, there's something there. If you could see it under that avalanche of turnovers, good for you. Because, I mean, there's something there with James Winston, too, right? But, like, what's the problem? He gives the ball to the other team. So, I don't know. Maybe it's there, but I don't see you. He's got to win me over, and I'm definitely not there yet. I feel like he's got to lose you. So, we're on opposite ends of that spectrum. Good. All right, let's I mean, look it's at... Fun. It's fun that way. Look at Monday night football game number two, and that's Tennessee and Denver. Tennessee gets the 16-14 win. This is the weirdest game ever. You've got Steven Goskowski misses four kicks in the game. And 
How did the Titans win? Oh, a last second field goal by Steven <laughs> Gostkowski. Like, what is going on? Yeah, so he misses uh, attempts from 47. Uh, the 44 run was like tipped slash blocked. Um, 42. And then an extra point, as you mentioned. And then, and then he makes the 25-yard game winner, the chip shot. Now, uh, you know, I look at that and I feel like, you know, the Titans should have won that game more comfortably. I mean, how could you not say that? You know, you look at all those missed kicks. Um, and I and I still feel good about the Titans' outlook. You know, I have them seventh in my power rankings. I, I still feel um, not, like, amazing about them, but I feel solid about them. Don't feel as good about Denver. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's that's what the game did, came down to me. It was just, like, the kicks. It's like, you got to fix – You got they have to figure that out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they're going to move forward um, with this unreliable of a kicker. Tennessee had the worst field goal unit in the league last year. They missed, they missed 56% of their field goals, which is insane. Um, but this is to me, this is exactly who the Titans are because this is who Mike Vrabel is. I call him baby Belichick. Like this is exactly who, Oh, your kicker sucks. Doesn't matter. Oh, you're down late. No problem. We'll drive down the field with a quarterback that nobody really wanted in Ryan Tannehill and we'll get in position. Oh, the kicker is really struggling. No problem. We'll get to like the 10 yard line. So even he can't miss this. And this final thing, like all these coaches have left new England and they've tried to be bill Belichick. Vrabel actually is him. He coaches exactly the same way. Yeah. And he, he was never really on the coaching staff, right? Like he, he was obviously just, he had played for bill Belichick. So that's always kind of like a funny thing too. So technically he's like not even part of, you know, bill Belichick's coaching tree, you know, officially um, obviously, you know, the influence is there and that's what matters. Uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, I just wanted to get to Denver on their side. Like, I think Drew Locke is fine. Like, I don't think he's good. Uh, you know, you could you could do worse. But I think ultimately kind of just fine. Um, saw he missed some throws, left some plays on the field in that game. I think Denver is going to have to win with a uh, strong defense and a running game. And I just, I don't like the teams that win that way. That just doesn't hold up year to year. You know, you look at like the teams uh, who do this in the past and it's like, you know, the Jaguars when they were good with Blake Bortles and uh, you know, even the bears with Trubisky, like just these teams who, uh, you know, don't have that real answer at quarterback. So uh, yeah, not as encouraged by Denver's outlook, you know, not a terrible game for them, but just didn't really move the needle for me. Yeah. I like drew Locke. My question with Denver is Vic Fangio. You know, some guys, are awesome coordinators, but not very good head coaches. And I'm starting to wonder if Vic Fangio falls into that category. And last night was a perfect example. Time management. I mean, I don't know these coaches, like, have they never played Madden before? Do they not understand, like, how time works? I know you're dealing with a lot, but let me set up the situation for you. So the Titans, it's 14 to 13 Denver. The Titans are driving. It's the two-minute warning, and the Titans are at midfield. So they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Denver has all three timeouts. And Tennessee starts moving the ball into field goal range. And Vic Fangio is not using his timeouts. There's 90 seconds left. It's second and four at the Denver 29. And what do they do? Tennessee, because Mike Rabel is smart. He's like, hey, we're already in field goal range. So they run the ball with Derrick Henry. They gain 13 yards. And there's no timeout from Vic Fangio. So there was 93 seconds left when they ran that play at the 29. The next play they run, there's 49 seconds left. What is Vic Fangio doing saving his timeouts? Tennessee's already in field goal range. You've essentially already given up the lead. You're giving your offense no chance to get the ball back and score at the end of the game. Vic Fangio also hired Pat Shermer as his offensive <laughs> coordinator, which is why to me. 
I mean, as as an Eagles, you know, fan who's had to watch Pat Shermer uh, be the team's offensive coordinator before, and I know obviously he did some good things in Minnesota, but like, I just don't buy that man. Like, I, I really just don't. I mean, you look what he did the Giants, and you look at his failures to me more than his successes. And I just like, how is that the most inspiring option you could get this offseason? So yeah, I just don't feel really that great about Denver. I thought it was a terrible decision. He tried to defend it later by saying, well, they went out of bounds and they threw an incompletion. By the time that happened, there was 30 seconds left in the game. Like you've already missed it, Vic. It's too late then. Like that. <laughs> ah, I'm so, I just, if you look every week, there's a coach with clock management who just completely does not know what the hell they're doing. Congratulations, Vic Fangio. You win. It passed from Andy Reid to uh, Vic Fangio. The, yeah, the Super Bowl the way, win. Denver ended the game with two timeouts. So good thing you saved them because- mm. What? I mean, it's just, it's infuriating. All right. Those are the two Monday night football games. Now I know you're chomping at the bit. Your power rankings are out for week two, 100% accurate as they always are. Yes. Very true. All right. So first let's go to the top five chiefs. Number one, no shock. They were number one last week. Ravens number two, no change. Saints at three, no change. Seahawks at four, no change. And Packers. Uh huh. Someone thought the Seahawks were too high last week. Anyway, continue. They beat Atlanta. They beat mm. Atlanta. All right, settle down. They're letting Russ cook. That is the frightening thing. I mean, Russ was, what, 31 of 35, I think, in the game? And it's not like they were down by a bunch and had to throw at the end of the game to keep up. Like, if that's what they're going to do, then I'm worried. Yeah, the Seahawks are my team now. Not, I'm no longer an Eagles fan. Just, you know, big, <laughs> big not, it's not even a Seahawks fan. It's just like I'm a big Russell Wilson fan. I have been. I've, I said it last week. He's my favorite player in the NFL. I love him. I think he's great. I think he's awesome. They look great. Um, but anyway, I, I ruined your you reading out in the top five. Yeah, well, then the Packers were number five. They make a yeah. three-spot jump. They were eight in week one. Now they move up to number five. But the Seahawks, just to sort of put a capper on that, I mean, if this is what they're going to be, they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender because, if you've said, Russell Wilson may be the best quarterback in the league. I was tempted to put the Seahawks over the Saints as the number one. Like, I think they could be very well be the best team in the NFC. I mean, you know, you could argue best team in the NFL. I think it's tough. You know, the Ravens and, and Chiefs are very good. But but they're, they're I mean, that's what it all comes down to. We said it last week on the first episode of the Oddcast. Like, if they let, if they actually do let Russell Wilson cook, I mean, man. Like that team is scary. I mean, it's it's, it's not just him like being able to throw the ball. It's he has, he has weapons to throw the ball too. I mean, DK Metcalf year two is so still looking good. Uh, yeah, I just man, Seattle's going to be tough. I think people kind of were sleeping on them a little bit heading into the season because you know, and right like because fairly questions about the coaching staff and whatnot. But I mean, if Russ is going to play this well, I mean, and I know it's Atlanta, but still, like he looked great. Like, he just looked unstoppable. He was dropping dimes. Um, I don't think it was just about playing a bad team. Uh, yeah, he's the best deep ball thrower in the league. It's unbelievable. Whenever he throws the ball like longer than 20 yards, I just assume it's going to be caught. It's so pretty. And, uh, yeah, I think they're, I think they're coming for that number one spot in the NFC West. I think, I think they're the team to beat. I mean, look, I'm a Niners fan. I produce the podcast for Niners nation. I've seen a lot of Russell Wilson. I've told Russell Wilson to his face. I hate your guts. (laughs) I don't regret it at all, by the way. Um, but He's so good. If if that offense is going to play like that, honestly, they may have the best offense in the NFC. I think their offense is better than the Saints' offense. If if they if Pete lets Russ cook. Speaking of team stats that are really good and arguably the best in the NFC, can I can I talk about the Eagles now? <laughs> 
I, I suppose if if you don't any if I delay it any longer, you're gonna like pop a blood vessel in your eye or something. So oh go ahead. Oh my gosh, ah, man, where do I begin? Uh, so stats, you know, obviously I picked the Eagles to win in my survivor in our little survivor take it to the bank thing last week, and it wasn't like it was crazy. They're up seventeen to zero against one of the worst teams in the league this year, or who who figured to be that way in the Washington football team without a name. Washington football team, they're up 17 to 0. Things are looking great. Carson Wentz is playing well. And then he just collapses. And really, it's it's hugely concerning for this Eagles team's outlook. Like, it's not that, you know, the season's over because they lose to a bad team in week one. It's that, and especially because we've seen Eagles teams face adversity before, and Doug Peterson has been able to dig them out of those holes and credit to the team's leadership as well. And obviously Carson Wentz was part of that last year. So I'm not like writing them off. But for them to go out and be up again 17 to 0 to a team that finished 3 and 13 last year, Dwayne Haskins not looking good at all. Like, how do you lose to that team? How do you blow that so badly? And then how do you like reconcile that going forward the rest of the year and feeling like good about this team's ceiling? Like stats you said, I think believe I believe you said last week, like you feel like Carson Wentz is a top five quarterback. I mean like he's not even top 10 right now like he, that was that was terrible that was awful it was a terrible performance he's still having issues with accuracy he still is playing too much hero ball instead of playing smart like this is year five for him and it comes to a certain point where you just wonder okay like is this who he is and it's never going to get better because that's what it feels like right now and i can understand that because you had a 17 point lead so blowing that you know that's just that hurts that's crushing but i look at this game and i say sometimes there are just matchups that are bad there are just guys that have your number for whatever reason like bill miller was a completely average player in major league baseball a few years ago but he owned mariano rivera the best closer and most dominant closer of all time he just did for whatever reason he could always get hits off of him there are just certain matchups sometimes that give you trouble and i think washington's defensive line just is the best part of their team and overpowered philly's offensive line and obviously that's going to impact Wentz, and I think that's what happened. It didn't help, but there were times where I thought the offensive line held up better than expected, and Wentz had like clean pockets to work with, and he was just missing throws. Like God, he's he's fine, and and maybe it's a cumulative effect. In fairness, like you know maybe he's so rattled from getting hit other times, he's kind of like you know seeing ghosts. You know, to bring that back from last year with Sam Darnold or whatever, but uh, like still, I, I just think so much of the blame goes on him, and it, and it's deeply concerning. Uh, what else? What other teams do we want to talk about? Well, if we're going to, I mean, if we're going to talk about upsets and deeply upsetting losses, then I'm going to skip right to my 49ers. There we go. I mean, that was, it was like a a replay of the Super Bowl. 10-point lead, defense tired in the fourth quarter, Niners score late to get the lead again, and the defense gives it right back. I mean, it was everything that could go wrong did go wrong, including George Kittle getting hurt. It was a disaster. I feel so good at least for one week, about my Arizona Cardinals breakout team pick. I think they are legit, man. I, I said, like, I think this team could be the next version of those 2017 Eagles, you know, the second-year quarterback kind of coming onto the scene sooner than people expect. You know, Kyler Murray didn't have the day passing statistically-wise, but obviously you can see how much of a weapon he is on the ground as well as ability to move the ball through the air. And 
gee, you know, wouldn't it have been nice, you know, to, to get DeAndre Hopkins, you know, a team out there that kind of needed wide receiver help. I mean, like he is just phenomenal and he's making a big difference for that team. I feel pretty good about the cards. You know, I think the Niners going to them, like really thinking about it, is it really so impossible that they could finish last in a loaded NFC yeah. West? Yes. It's impossible. Let's not get it can't crazy. happen. Let's not get crazy. All right. First of all, both starting wide receivers were out for the 49ers. Okay. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jimmy Garoppolo played one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. He has Kendrick Bourne open in the end zone at the end of the game. And he sees him, which is great. And it was a clean pocket, which is great. And then he throws what can only be described. It's like if you coughed a football to a wide receiver, that's what it looked like. The ball hung up in the air and wobbled. And it was so bad, it hit Patrick Peterson in the head. And the, the game was won. And and he just played terribly against a team that he dominated last year in two games. I'm just not a Jimmy G guy, man. I was saying it last week. I just I think, you know, he's fine. He's good. He's solid to good. But like I just I just don't buy it when it comes to a team ceiling, which is a thing I talk about a lot. And I, I just I don't know, man. I, I don't think it's insane. I don't think it's that and now look, I mean, I still think the Niners are gonna be good. And that division is really good. I, I think it's it's gonna be a very, very tough division. I mean, just looking at my power rankings here, I have like all four of those teams in the top 12. The, the Rams are the lowest right now, and I think rightfully so at 12. But man, like that's going to be a tough division. Yeah, I, I understand that the Niners are not looking good right now, but through the first quarter of the season, the 49ers could be three and one. And then are you going to be saying they're going to be last in the NFC West? Like, again, it was bad. It was one game. But don't forget, three teams beat the 49ers last year. Seattle, Baltimore, and Atlanta, who stunk. Mm -hmm. This could be the Atlanta game. So let's let's calm down before we're going nuts that the 49ers' sky is falling, because I don't think it is just yet. Stats is in denial, but anyway. It's not denial. It's, it's logic. It's calm. And probably a little bit of denial. All right. All right. Why don't we do this? Let's take a break right now, because we're about halfway done. But when we come back, we're going to debut a new segment on the show called Make It Make Sense. Basically, we're going to examine a decision, a play, something that happened either on Sunday or Monday that we just simply cannot explain. And I saw a decision by a rookie head coach that was so bad, the coach even admitted after the game that he never should have done it. We'll talk about that next. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back here on the Oddcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. He's Brandon Lee Gowden. 
And it's time for a new feature on the show called Make It Make Sense. We're going to look at something that happened on Sunday or Monday that we just simply cannot explain. And I'm going to kick things off. I have to go to the Raiders-Panthers game. Panthers really surprised me. They hung tough. Here's the situation. It's 34-30 Raiders. There's a minute and 23 left. The Panthers have the ball. They are driving. They're at the 46-yard line. It is fourth and inches, probably fourth and less than a foot. Panthers need to dial up a play. Instead of giving the ball to Christian McCaffrey, they give the ball to fullback Alex Arma, who, of course, gets stopped. Who? Alex Arma. Christian McCaffrey had as much to do on that play as I did. I've never heard of that guy in my life. It makes sense, Brandon. I've I've never heard of that person. Like you could be lying, you could be lying to me right now because I didn't see this play. I didn't catch the end of that game. I I mean, are you telling me? I I don't know. I like that. That that sounds not real to me. You know what? You know why you don't know him? Because he played eight snaps the entire game. Eight snaps. You have the highest paid running back in the league in your backfield. He had been coming on strong in the second half when you actually gave him the ball. The game is on the line. And you hand the ball to the up man on a fullback, not a quarterback sneak, not a run to McCaffrey that gets stuffed or a pitch or a screen, a fullback dive up the middle. Against the team that employs John Gruden too. Like, doesn't that feel like we would be hearing the opposite? Like, doesn't that feel like we'd be like, oh man, what's Gruden doing? He's giving the ball to a fullback. (laughs) And the crazy thing is, Carolina didn't really give the ball to Christian McCaffrey that much with with six minutes or five minutes left in the third quarter. McCaffrey had 10 touches the entire game, and then they needed a touchdown. And what did they do? They gave him the ball 11 times on a 75-yard drive and scored a touchdown. Like, the formula was there for Matt Rule. I, I, I don't get it. Like, what? With the game on the line, we saw it with the Seahawks. Put the ball in the hands of your best player. It's clear who the Panthers' best player is. Why do teams not do this? People overthink it. I think that's that's what it comes down to. The NFL. It's like, you know, and instead of just doing, I think in general in life, maybe even people get too obsessed with like being unpredictable. Like, not, no, like just do the thing that's good and works. Like that's there's a reason why it's good. Like it doesn't have to. You don't have to try to trick everyone all the time. Do the thing. That's going to be a philosophy on this show. Just <laughs> do the thing. Give it to Christian. Make it into a T-shirt. <laughs> And what made it worse, the Raiders called timeout before the play. So the Panthers had extra time to think and dial up a cool play and and come up with something they wanted to do. And they came up with Alex Arma. Alex Arma. Should should I pick him up in fantasy? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if you need an inch. How many points Hmm. do you get for an inch? I'm not sure. Let's get into our... I don't want to do this because it was so bad. (laughs) Our survivor picks from week one. Brandon, as he said, had the Eagles over Washington, and I have to give you credit. I'm giving you credit because I picked the Lions over the Bears. I was very tough on Mitchell Trubisky, and you immediately said Trubisky always plays well against the Lions. And what happened late in that game? Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, for all his faults, got off to a slow start, and things are looking bad. But he remembered that he was facing Matt Patricia, who was a joke. And now Mitchell Trubisky, lifetime is up to 124.4 passer rating against the Lions with Matt Patricia as head coach. He has completed 88 of his 127 attempts for 1,108 yards, 12 touchdowns, and just one interception. Now, in fairness here to the Lions, you know, 
tough break at the end of the game there. You know, ball is in DeAndre Swift's hands in the end zone. Looks like a game winner, and he just drops it very badly. Uh, so, you know, Lions almost escaped with a win in that game. But the problem is you're in a close game against Mitchell Trubisky when you were up. <laughs> And you should have blown them out. So they deserve to lose. They, you know, they don't deserve to catch that ball at the end of the game. Like they put themselves in the spot where they, you know, they they left it to a spot where they could lose to Mitchell Trubisky, and they deserved what they got. So yeah, stats. We didn't have the best week, week one. Uh, both eliminated in our own little survivor <laughs> league. So so maybe in a way we shouldn't do the segment anymore. I don't know, but I, I figured we could still do to take it to the bank, whatever you want to call it, picks this week. Um, but it's up to you at this point. I don't know. Well, you said to me before the first episode last week, let's do survivor picks. And I thought, okay, that's cool. And then I was like, wait a minute, I stink at picking games. What happens mm. if we're both eliminated after week one? And sure enough, we're both eliminated after week one. It shows we really know what we're talking about on the yes. show, I think. It is stunning. Can I just say, too, about Matthew Stafford really quickly? Like, circumstances define so much of what happens to you in life. And I think that if he went to another organization, we would think Matt Stafford is way better than we currently think he is. He's not perfect, and he's been responsible for some of those losses for sure. But I think he has he he is so wasted in Detroit with that organization. That's a perfect example. He throws the game-winning touchdown pass. You couldn't have placed it in DeAndre Swift's hands any better than Matthew Stafford did. And Swift doesn't even get hit and drops the ball, and the Lions lose. That's a pretty rough deal. And yeah, you're probably right. I mean, what's what's going to go well in Detroit? Like All things go to die there. And uh, also, I saw a good stat on, well, not good if you're a Lions fan listening to this, sorry, but good stat out there that like Matt Patricia, and since whenever he's been coached there now, it feels like longer than it should be uh, because it is, uh, has won like nine games, which is the same amount of wins, you know, that Jim Caldwell had in the season that he was fired ultimately. Not to say that Jim Caldwell, you know, was the answer in Detroit, but it's so funny. Like they rushed to get rid of Caldwell after a nine win season. And since then, Matt Patricia is like like nine and twenty seven and one or something like that. Did you see uh Patricia? So he after the game he got criticized and they said basically, is there something with your coaching late in game since you've given up a lot of leads that's like not getting done? And did you see his response? What was it exactly? He said well, I don't know about – I wouldn't question my late-game coaching. I have one of the best late-game plays in the history of all football. And it's like, wait a minute, Malcolm Butler made an interception in the Super Bowl, so that makes you a good coach? Like, I don't understand that logic. He drew that up. You know, he drew the Seahawks passing the ball instead of giving the ball to Marshawn Lentz and then told Malcolm Butler to really just jump the route on that play. He drew that up. So, And obviously, you know, too, even if that is true, like that one play supersedes any of all these failures of the Lions. Like Lions fans can really feel comfortable and like, you know, are very comforted by the fact that, you know, their defensive their, – their head coach made a big play or, or, you know, was involved in a play for another team. Yeah, that, that's really assuring. I just want to say something about Matt Patricia because I produced pro football talk for NBC with Mike Florio for about seven years. So we would go to the to the combine. We would go to the Super Bowl and at all these events, all these coaches are there. And let me explain to you, Matt Patricia, when he first got the job, did an incredible thing. He went around to all the national media and introduced himself and basically cozied up to I saw him do it to Florio and he did it to other national media in that were there at these events. He did a very good job of being friends with all these guys. And I feel like Matt Patricia 
is not getting criticized the way a coach with his record would do it. And honestly, I think part of the reason is because he cozied up to all these guys. And if you don't think that's a factor, you're out of your mind because it absolutely is. Well, he didn't cozy up to us here, Stats, on the Oddcast. So we can rip him, and all you Lions fans out there can be glad that we are here to rip your joke of a head coach. If there are any head coaches out there, by the way, that would like to cozy up to us, like, I'm not above that. Oh, yeah. I don't have any pride. Like, I can be bought. Let me just throw that out there. Just make it good. It has to be a good offer, but yes. (laughs) So, do we dare dip our toe into week two with our picks? Yeah, I think I'm going to do it at least. If if you don't want to do it, well, then I guess I just win by default. But uh, I'm going to say, and obviously this gives us a time to talk about these teams too, which is the real, you know, a little behind the curtain here, the real reason we do this kind of thing. Um, I'm going to make the Cowboys my survivor pick this week because, look, you know, they, they lost obviously to the Rams in week one. And shocking too because it's, you know, it's like I said last week, you know, they got rid of Jason Garrett. He was the only problem with that team. It's like it's not possible for them to have any failures moving forward because you get rid of him and you bring in Mike McCarthy, who is, you know, the second coming of Bill Parcells or or Bill Walsh or whatever. He's just the, the greatest new thing. Nothing can go wrong with him. Oh, except, you know, that's not the case. And the Cowboys do still have issues. But with that said, uh, you know, obviously, this is now part of this is the reverse jinx. You know, I, I take them to, you know, it worked in week one. You know, I'm clearly I'm not going to be right about this pick, but but I do actually feel good about the Cowboys beating the Falcons. I think Atlanta is just so bad. I think it's a joke that Dan Quinn, and it's not even just Dan Quinn, but Dirk Cutter too. Like, how is Dirk Cutter still there? When, when was the last time Dirk Cutter was involved in a good offense? You know, I remember, the, I remember those Bucks teams that he was coaching where like, they had some good weeks, and it was because Todd Munkin was like involved in the play calling. And then for some reason, they took it away from him because it was like I, I don't think like Dirk Cutter wanted him to get the credit there. Yep. Um, and you know, since then, like what what is Dirk Cutter doing? Why is he there? What are the Falcons doing? Like they're just running it back, even though it's been clear the past couple of seasons. Like they keep doing the same thing where like they start out disappointing, and then they do enough at the end of the season to kind of save Dan Dan Quinn's job, but then. It's like the same start to the next season where things aren't good enough again. It's like it's just Groundhog Day for them. So uh, so with the Falcons being that bad, I'm pretty confident that the Cowboys can actually beat them. You're right, by the way, about Dirk Cutter and the credit. Let me that guy, man, behind the scenes. He is a power broker. He was part of the reason that Lovey Smith got canned. He was behind the scenes making moves. And when he got the job, we had him on. PFT on pro football talk. And we asked him, Hey Dirk, like a lot of people are saying you were pushing behind the scenes for this change to happen. And let me tell you, he was not pleased with us after that interview. (laughs) And I'll just leave it at that. So he's a little image, a little image concern there. What a shocker for a guy who, again, would take away play calling from someone who was doing it well, so he could take it back over only for his team to fail. Who do you have this week's stats if you're, if you're doing a pick here? Oh, I'm doing I have to do a pick every week. You can't you can't back off of that. I'm going to go with a team that lost in week one, who I think has been getting a little dinged, and I think it's kind of unfair. And I'm going to go with the Buccaneers over the Panthers. I've already detailed the disaster yeah. of the Carolina Panthers. But here's the thing. Eight of 11 starters on defense are new this year with no preseason, no, you know, with nothing, basically. That's going to take time for them to gel. And 
I don't think Tom Brady looked as bad as everybody says. I know Bruce Arians originally criticized Tom after the game and then sort of backed off of that on Monday. Um, I think the Bucs are going to be just fine. I think Brady's going to terrorize that very young defense. And people like him, and it's a great story. I think Teddy Bridgewater is nothing special at all. He won't lose you the game, but he ain't winning you games either. So I'm sorry. I'll take the winningest, best quarterback of all time against Teddy Bridgewater every day of the week. I think that's a pretty fair pick. Uh, I wasn't ready to drop the Patriots too much in my power rankings. I had them 14 last week. I'm going to move them down to 15. Uh, I still think they are, you know, that 2013 Brooklyn Nets team, and I and I don't buy them in a big way as the Super Bowl pick or something. But, yeah, I'm not ready to make too much of that first game just because the Saints are so good too, and, and, and it's tough. And although, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, Brady throwing two picks does anything to, like, quiet the idea that he's cooked or at least cooked for his standards, which is still, you know, better than a lot of people's cooked, but still mm-hmm. not, you know, good enough ultimately. And I, I think it's a fair pick because I, I totally agree with you on Teddy Bridgewater. I'm glad we're united on that front. I think Teddy gets like some weird hype. I feel like sometimes like I just think people think he he is a lot better than he is. And I, and I just don't get it. He's fine. Like you said, I think last year the Saints, it was kind of crazy. Like what? They went five and oh when he was in there, but he didn't play like super well. Like I remember watching some of those games, specifically the Cowboys game that they played, the Saints and the Cowboys last year, and he did he played terribly, and they won, but like he did not play well, and yeah, so I, I just do not buy him as the starter there. And you had issues with Matt Rule earlier, so of course it would only make sense that you would, uh, you know, take go bet him against him again and, and take the Bucks here. So I think that's a fair pick. I'm not going to rip you for that one. Yeah, I mean, if there's one philosophy I subscribe to, it's kick them when they're down, right? So that Matt Rule, yeah, <laughs> now I'll. I'll I'll go all in on you. Yeah, Bridgewater, I mean, he's never thrown more than 14 touchdowns in a season. Like, I don't know why we're all going crazy about Teddy Bridgewater. It's never been easier to pass the ball in the history of the NFL, and the dude can't even throw one touchdown per game. Like, I, I'm sorry. By the way, did you notice in the Bucks game on Brady's first interception, because there's no crowd noise or anything, so you can really hear the field audio? So he throws the ball before it's even actually intercepted. You hear Brady yelling at Mike Evans. He screams out, no, Mike, because Brady basically thought he was going to take it upfield and Evans kind of cut the route off. So you can hear Brady yelling at Mike Evans before the ball is even intercepted. It was incredible. That's awesome. That's that's definitely, obviously, you know, in a, a perfect world, we would love there for there to be fans at games and not this situation. But that's, I guess that's definitely a uh, on the bright side of not having fans there and being able to hear that kind of stuff. That's really cool. One more quick thing before we go, because there were a couple of just weird moments that happened. At one point, a Miami Dolphins player made a sack of Cam Newton and then told the non-existent crowd in Foxborough to quiet down. He really showed them. Maybe it's for like a pictures, you know, just so like, you know, it kind (laughs) of looks cool and then you can put on your Instagram or something. The Browns had a third and 41 at one point against the Ravens. So congratulations to them. And uh, the defensive coordinator for the Rams, Brandon Staley was covering his face while he was calling plays. The only thing that's weird about that, he was also wearing a mask at the time, which, of course, covers your nose and mouth. You can never be too careful. And in the case of Andy Reid, obviously, he's really he's really got to go. I mean, he's not covered. Well, he, he is and isn't covered. Is is covered because it's fogging up. Isn't covered because it, it's clear in the beginning of the game. But, yeah, a lot of coaches, it's funny going with the – the. Uh, the it's just like such a habit for them, right? Like, I feel like I just even go into Eagles practices and stuff over the years. Like you see it there. And I, I feel like it could be something like, like totally non 
uh, you know, like, you know, not important to football at all. It could be like, hey, you know, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? As I'm putting my hand over my mouth right now, which you can't see if you're listening to this, but but stats can. And uh, yeah, it's funny how that's just like such a football guy thing. Well, you know what? Maybe there was somebody at the practice like he didn't want to go to the dinner. So yeah, he's covering true. his mouth because you don't want that guy to show up. Oh, are you guys making dinner plans? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> damn it. So you got to take precautions. And Andy Reid looks like a guy that takes dinner seriously. I'm just throwing that out there. That is true. All right. That's going to do it for us. That is episode two of the Oddcast. Obviously, we'll be back next week when both of our survivor picks pay off and everything we say proves to be uh, 100% accurate. I'm looking forward to it. Stats, obviously, a fun time with you. People should follow us on social media. You're what? At Stats on Fire on Twitter. I'm at Brandon Gettin on Twitter. I really appreciate the feedback we've gotten so far. Again, I, I mentioned on top of the show on iTunes and Twitter, too. I got some there's a Titans fan. Uh, name escaped me right now who reached out listened to the show last week he, he really liked how we i was bullish on the titans so appreciate you listening you know if you're out there obviously check out bleeding green nation for my work on the eagles stats over at niners nation and this has been fun we'll do it again next week more to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.